Hey listeners, this episode contains spoilers of comic books and media, but because of the character, there's also some talk of the occult, torture, and mature subject matter. Just a warning to our listeners with younger kids. Okay, here's the episode. Hey, I can't wait to talk about Hellraiser. Wait, what? Pinhead, such a great character. Um... Pinhead, you know, mystical puzzle box, Cenobites. Chris. Clive Barker is such a genius. Chris, we're talking about Constantine from Hellblazer comics. John Constantine, Hell Hellblazer. Yes. Not Hellraiser? No. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And today we're talking about John Constantine. But first, let's welcome our special guest for this issue, Erin from Girls Talk Comics. Woohoo! Welcome! Thank you. Hi. Um, really kind of funny you mentioned Hellraiser, because that did remind me I've seen a burlesque show based on Hellraiser character. Oh, wow. What? Yeah, it was actually really cool. There was a lot of fake blood. They had to put like a plastic tarp out. And that's just something that I will mm-hmm. always remember. Always. I, th- I think that would be pretty scarring. Yeah. But a burlesque show takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really cool. It's definitely memorable. Um, sure. That also has nothing to do with my podcast, Girls right. Talk Comics. <laughs> Tell us about your podcast. Ex- yeah, yes. uh, it's me Aaron and my co-host Jessica, we started the podcast Girls Talk Comics, and it's pretty self-explanatory based on the title. We read all kinds of indie, Marvel, DC, new, old. Uh, We're doing a book club, so now we've got a little bit of prose thrown in there. Nice. And we are entirely non-scripted off the cuff, just talking our thoughts and figuring out where we agree or disagree. And it's absolute blast. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. Have you guys been friends for a while, like the two of you, and you just decided, let's start this, or how did you, you all meet? We actually did not know each other before we started recording. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's really off the cuff. It is really <laughs> off the cuff, and it, more than anything, we're just really lucky to have vibed so well for sure. the show. Uh, we have a mutual friend who is actually our first guest for season two. His, his name is Aura. We call him Dr. Doctora. Uh, he got his PhD in comic books and he's been nice. working in the comics industry for years. And I met him working in a comic shop with him. He knew I had a lot of feelings, knew Jess had a lot of feelings about comic books and decided to match us up. And it was a match made in podcast heaven. That's um, awesome. We've gotten <laughs> incredibly close over the last year or so. And She's a delightful human. She really wishes she could do these interviews and guest appearances. Her internet is so unfortunately bad, though, oh. <laughs> so she can't. But, you know, she sends her love and affection as well. On your show, uh, like, do you have, do you all have things that, I mean, do you kind of talk about more recent issues or do you kind of focus on um, 
just kind of what you're reading currently or what, 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 how do you choose like the topics that are? We read complete stories. And so it's not, you know, a single issue came out. Jess is not a active pooler. Um, She pulls from the shop that I work at, which is about a three hour drive for her. So staying current is a little difficult. Yeah. I think we, we've actually just started shipping them to her so (laughs) they can get there a little bit quicker. We then identify either bestsellers or titles that have just caught our eye or whatever we can find on Hoopla together Mm -hmm. (laughs) and read those and just come at it and talk about it. The books that we're currently reading for our book club are books that Jess grew up reading. So a lot of them are pretty old, like 1980s prose. For our episodes, we've done more recent in the sense of probably 2014 and newer, because that was when about the time both of us started reading comic books. Um, But we're all over the place. Did it catch our eye? You know, are we going to agree that we both want to read it? And that's <laughs> kind of what we pick from. Yeah, that's awesome. So. I just I just listened to the Wonder Woman Dead Earth issue episode that you both did, and it was yes. so much fun to listen to. Really, Thank really you. fun opinions, really interesting opinions, too. That's kind of what we strive for. When we first started, we were trying to be a bit more, I think, careful about our opinions, a little bit more censored, uh, palatable, maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> now that we've gotten into season two, we kind of, lack of a better word, don't care. Like when we read these books, we have political thoughts. We have mm-hmm. thoughts about, you know, feminism be- and being a woman reading it. We have thoughts about being an American reading it. it yeah. We talk about family dynamics in our vision episode. So it's just, we just started rolling with what is the topic on our mind? How and how do we want to spread our message about it? And it's, it's really fun. It's just really natural. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it's really rewarding as well. That's, I mean, I think that's really awesome that, that you're one, that it's just so off the cuff and, and that's, kind of what what strikes your fancy at the moment and and you mentioned like you know talking about something that's like if it's feminism or or you know like the female point of view as you guys are are talking about these comics like how how much does that come into the conversation because it's called girls talk comics so is that is that a a leading factor of something like of of what you have to bring into the conversation or not Really, at first we wanted to talk about how women were represented in the comic books. Uh, yeah. And we wanted to kind of focus a lot on female creators. Like, that was our initial mission. And then it more became just about how did we interpret it according to our life experiences. Mm-hmm. We do believe that our life experiences of, as women add a different perspective to a lot of the books that are mostly written and mostly read by men. Yeah. That's just how it is. So uh, we've got no shame in that, but we do talk about feminism a lot. And we do talk about how annoying characters are based on (laughs) tropes. Yeah. Oh, the tropes are strong. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it definitely is an underlying theme to all of it, but we don't go into it talking from a female perspective like we 
we've kind of just embraced that we are women who read comics and thus are going to have a female perspective, but it's not the driving force of our conversations. Um, yeah. Again, with the, like, feminism comes into it a lot. The Wonder Woman Dead Earth episode, for example, just yep. talks about how the representation of Amazons feels very like a critique of second wave feminism. And she's got her struggles with that interpretation of their behaviors or that appearance of it. So it, it's there, but it's not like our topic. Like let's pick up Tom King and discuss feminism. (laughs) It's very just, (laughs) if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, having, you have that as listened, a very powerful tool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And having listened to multiple of your episodes, I can openly say it is not something that gets like punches you in the face, but it's something that adds to the conversation of whatever story you're really reading. And it, I, I found your show and was really interested because there are so few women that are talking about comics in general. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to hear what, those storylines might mean to someone of the other gender and so or of another gender and so I wanted to kind of take that in and I was not disappointed because the takes were real and grounded and well thought out and very well conveyed and it was just a lot of fun to listen to so that's why and, I wanted and to super important to oh, hear for men like I think that's the other thing is like I think more more guys need to listen to your show just to be like, okay, point taken. That's fair. You know, like, uh, <laughs> Thank we you. need to be brought down a couple of pegs. <laughs> Sometimes, but who am I to yeah. judge? Um, no, it. Thank you for that feedback. And I'll definitely share it with Jess since Jess doesn't spend as much time on the social media as I do since I run mm-hmm. our social media. She doesn't get that feedback a lot. And I think she'll really enjoy it. It's been. Yeah a real confident boost confidence booster for the two of us doing this podcast and just getting our thoughts out there. We both love interpreting literature and if the podcast was going to be the one way we could really do it since working in a comic shop, I mostly just hear what customers like and <laughs> Jess lives in the middle of nowhere. So it just, yeah. <laughs> it's a match made in lit review heaven. So Yeah. And thank goodness for for the internet allowing us to get voices that, you know, normally wouldn't get heard before podcasts. And now it's like you can you can reach so many people. And like, what's the weirdest country that you found out that uh, or the most like unlikely place that you saw? Oh, somebody listens to us there. I think it was really cool to see that we had some listeners in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some in France. I haven't paid attention to the countries as much lately, but when we were getting going, I was like, oh yeah, France, mm-hmm. yeah. Ireland, what the hell? <laughs> That's I think really the weirdest, cool. <laughs> the weirdest stat I showed Lance was like, hey, we're number six in uh, visual arts in Norway. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> They're like, number six, woo, in <laughs> Norway. <laughs> it's a big really celebration. Obscure. Like it, like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you, Bjorn, wherever you are (laughs) (laughs) listening to our podcast on repeat. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Constantine. Are we ready to dive into the occult? Always. Awesome. (laughs) 
Okay, so um, uh, I'm going to start things off. Uh, John Constantine is a working class warlock, a cult detective, con man, anti-hero, featured in the comic John Constantine Hellblazer from DC Comics. And sub- subsequently, it's Vertigo imprint, created by Alan Moore and Steve Bissett. He's an unabashedly British character based in London, known for his signature trench coat, endless cynicism, deadpan humor, ruthless cunning, and constant chain-smoking. But he's also a passionate humanitarian driven by a sincere desire to do some good in his life for other people. Although never receiving the sales of mainstream comic heroes, the reception and legacy of this character is pretty profound. And in England, especially, he's a cult icon. And I I found a blurb in the inside cover of All His Engines, the storyline trade paperback, which sums him up really well. John Constantine is a man of many talents, a golden tongue con man, a blue collar mage, a sneering punk and an absolute bastard. Yet despite the shoddy labels, comics quintessential antihero has managed to overcome apocalyptic odds on numerous occasions to save humanity's arses with little to no fanfare to a guy who's on a first name basis with all the demons of hell. Constantine would have it no other way. I just love that little summary of all the things. (laughs) Uh, of that character. It's it's great. For his origin, John Constantine was born in Liverpool, Lancashire, to immediate tragedy. His mother, Marianne, died during childbirth while John strangled his twin brother in the womb with his umbilical cord. John's father, Thomas, blamed him for Marianne's death, despite being partially responsible for his own wife's death due to a previously forced abortion weakening her womb. That's a rough start. Yeah. John and his older sister, Cheryl, escaped their alcoholic father and lived with their aunt and uncle in Northampton. We learn that John's bloodline and ancestors were known as the Laughing Magicians. These legendary mages possess the power of synchronicity, which is basically, uh, it just means that things that appear to have a meaningful relativity, uh, but they lack a causal connection. So it's kind of like chaos in general that he can kind of control it's it's pretty interesting if you actually read up on that like concept uh but it essentially allows him to uh, bluff and trick gods and demons for majority of the actual comic book runs this family heritage motivates john to practice the arcane art of magic with frequently horrific results he would eventually move to london and room with who would end up being his closest friend, Francis Chaz Chandler. John dove headfirst into the world of the occult in the 70s, traveling the globe and landing in San Francisco, where he would meet fellow magic user Satana. After becoming obsessed with punk rock following a Sex Pistols concert, he cut his hair, formed a band called Mucus Membrane, and called himself Johnny Con Job. I'll spare you the details, but John's first attempt at being a hero involved a magical orgy gone wrong, summoning a demon to defeat an awful monster, and then having said demon drag a child to the pits of hell. Needless to say, this did not do wonders for his mental health, landing him in Ravenscar Psychiatric Hospital following a mental breakdown. After some soul-searching, John vowed to use magic and his skills as a con man to free the innocent from hell and battle against the twisted and villainous supernatural forces who cross his path. There's a lot to unpack there, but <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I, I, I love that, that, you know, he's, he gets really into punk and uh, the mucous membrane is, is a great, great name for a band. 
Um, but also like the DC elements like you know, Raven Scar. It's very like, you know, all, all of the different names of of psychiatric hospitals in DC are the best. <laughs> they're so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Sorry, they're just follows in that kind of dark uh, yeah. Lovecraftian kind of yeah. premise. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling upset. I think I'm going to check yeah. myself in. Oh, where are you going? A Raven Scar. <laughs> it just and makes me feel there's just so always welcomed. a clash of lightning or thunder that happens yeah. after you say the name too <laughs> like always it's a bright sunny summer day yeah middle Going of the day Scar. <laughs> i've got a delivery I, I, there <laughs> i hope that they amazon take, driver uh, does not have good times no i hope they take my health insurance that's all i have uh, <laughs> you know it sounds like a place that wouldn't really take a lot of insurance yeah. Does anywhere really take a lot of insurance? I mean, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, dark secret of the insurance world. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of stats: the the Constantine Hellblazer series was not just one of the most successful of Vertigo, but was the stepping stone of many British writers, such as and hopefully I don't butcher anybody's name: uh, Jamie Delano, Garth Ennis, Eddie Campbell, Paul Jenkins, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman. Brian Azzarello and Mike Carey, to name a few. That's a list. Um, it was one of the, yeah, <laughs> some amazing names on there. It was the uh, one of the first modern occult detective fiction works and heavily influenced such modern examples such as Hellboy, Supernatural, Grimm, Dresden Files, The X-Files, and Angel. IGN ranked Constantine 29 in their top 100 comic book heroes. In Wizard Magazine's top 200 heroes of all time, he was ranked 10th and empire a british magazine ranked constantine third in their 50 greatest comic characters of all time so pretty pretty good pretty it's high pretty high up there, there. he yeah. deserves it mm-hmm. i'm just saying so uh, aaron what what is your experience with constantine like how did you first get into hellblazer or, or like what what was your the way that you got introduced to this comic I don't know. I never really got directly introduced to Constantine, but he was always someone I knew a little bit about. It could have been through any of the DC animated series. Like I had very brief exposure. Like I knew the name, I knew the character existed and I was always really curious. And I finally picked up the comic run that I read because I was following Cy Spurrier and going from one of his books to that one. I think I went from the dreaming to his hellblazer run Mm. and uh then i hunted down a bunch of the animated movies that he's in and i was like i really like this guy's character (laughs) yeah Yeah. um that's how i came across him mostly cartoons what about his character like draws you to him he's sad like it's a sad imperfect hero and He's a douchebag, but he also, I think, is the epitome of an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. He's just very manipulative, very self-serving, but he does really big acts to save the world. Like, the decisions he has to make aren't rescuing somebody falling from a building like Superman or tying up a mugger like Batman. It's cataclysmic magical events that require 
ultimate sacrifices. Unfortunately, those ultimate sacrifices are the very earnest, well-meaning people around him, (laughs) not himself, but almost for the greater good in the sense of if he was to disappear, who else would do it? There's no one. So it's, it's just a, I kind of like that tragedy and ethical dilemma part of his story. So that's why I like him. I think, I think for me, why, why I, I'm not as familiar, but I mean, just doing research with this and why I was kind of hesitant in getting into Constantine in the past is I, I've always been afraid of uh, or, or not liked, um, you know, those cartoons where it's like, we're going to beat up the dog and the dog tries to help the cat or the baby and yeah. like it keeps on getting hurt and hurt. And then the, the, the owner comes home and it's like bad dog <laughs> and it's supposed to be funny, but it's like, Oh, you just really feel bad for that cartoon dog. Um, that's kind of what I was like, you know, Constantine is just going to get, you know, all of the crappy stuff and nobody's going to thank him. And, and it's hard to, I just like the empathy meter just goes up for these characters. I'm just like, I just want them to have a little bit of recognition and, and, and you know that they won't get it because of just who they are. Um, so in that's Constantine's what, but, defense, like, I guess maybe not in his defense, but to be fully critical of him, he's a jerk. Like oh, he's yeah. not 100%. a nice guy. So he doesn't like deserve yeah. That I mean he he gives himself enough recognition in some of the stories depending on who's writing him and what's done. I mean he's a he's a confident, arrogant. Yeah. jerk. But like no, he doesn't need other yeah. people. He doesn't deserve <laughs> other people knowing what he's done. The people who do know about him are the ones who are usually doing other evil things and that's why they need him. But he does I think if he had any publicity it would just one just upset the world because they would be it. like, "Oh, ghosts and spirits and demons are real." Oh no! And then mm-hmm. also, he doesn't deserve that. We just did a the Deadpool episode, who's another super popular antihero, and it's it's mm-hmm. almost like on the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, Deadpool is this chaotic force of nature and just uses humor to cover up the pain, whereas yeah. Constantine is is almost like he uses pain to cover up any kind of life or humor he's just like yeah whatever you know screw it pretty much yeah i think that's pretty accurate (laughs) he's just he doesn't lie to people i mean he does lie by omission i feel but i think he's pretty honest about the fact that everything he does sucks yeah (laughs) it's just that nobody fully commits to that you know they they want to help because they're genuinely good and he's just like, I'm not going to stop you, I guess. He, I he told has, you. But. He has the worst bedside manner of it. Oh, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Your daughter's going to die. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's not really a great mentor either. He's just. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's burdened with the fact that people will constantly go to him. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> people like him and he hates it. You know, just kind of. That's his curse, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Lance, you got some stats for us? I do. So, he has a few aliases. So, of course, we have Hellblazer, Conjob, the Laughing Magician, the Cunning Man, and the Constant One. Then some powers and abilities is extensive knowledge of the occult. With magic, he has telekinesis, necromancy, pyrokinesis, illusion projections, teleportation, chronokinesis, among other types of mystic arts. 
He has a genius level intellect, which he uses constantly to berate other people with. He is an expert tactician and manipulator, master con artist and skilled detective, as well as expert in hand-to-hand combat. So basically, he can punch you in the face and then do some crazy magic to uh, partly, I don't know, potentially like sell your soul to hell. Uh, So that's not a good thing to cross his path. So for jobs, he is a detective, an exorcist, and of course, a con man. Affiliations are usually with the Justice League Dark and the Trench trench Coat Brigade. (laughs) Supporting characters. Yeah, that's a great one. I wonder if they have patches. Supporting characters would be Chaz Chandler, Kit Ryan, Zatanna, uh, Swamp Thing, Dream, Nick Necro, Papa Midnight, Spellbinder, and Julia Everhart. And then we we say supporting characters, but in reality, probably like half this list has either tried to kill John at one point or another, or just hates him completely, or just kind of minds him as much as... I think Chaz is the closest thing we really get to anything other than Zatanna for a brief period as being really supportive. He kind of has a relationship with Nick Necro, I think. I read somewhere, the reason I put Nick Necro in there is because on the wiki it was like, oh, and he has this, he's bisexual and he f- has a relationship with Zatanna, but at the same time he is also seeing, he starts seeing this guy Nick Necro. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. So, but. I know he dated King Shark. or Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the other thing. It's mentioned yeah. that he's in a relationship with King Shark. <laughs> I mean... Good for you, John. Yeah, he's not just um, uh, he's not just bisexual, but he's like poly um, polyamorous species. Oh, poly species. There you go. He doesn't discriminate against anybody. No. Yes. So antagonists are going to include Nurgle the demon, and I believe that's the first demon he conjured, and he did it to he conjured it to kill another monster, but he didn't know its real name, and so he didn't Hmm. find him, and that's when the like the girl that he was trying to protect got dragged to hell by that demon yeah and that's what eventually like broke his brain because he couldn't handle it so there you go nurgle the demon uh other antagonists include the first of the fallen mr e sargon the sorceress tanarak who was the cult of the cold flame uh, an interesting fact is Constantine in the Vertigo run aged in real time. In the 1988 story, he was in his 30s, and by the series end, he was in his mid-50s. The DC New 52 version makes Constantine younger and still learning some of his powers. I thought that was interesting, too, because you don't see that too often in like real-time aging mm-hmm. <laughs> in comics and just having this you know, elder 50-year-old uh, <laughs> kind of is like, I'm clearly getting old for this job uh, was interesting, but you know, I think that's really cool. That's amazing. To finally have a character kind of age with you. Yeah. yeah if they had only great. done that for other heroes. Yeah. We don't have like today. Don't have 19 year old Peter Parker for decades and decades and decades. <laughs> he deserves to turn 30. Just let he him does. turn 30. He also deserves to have a kid that doesn't get taken out of reality. That'd be great too. Mm-hmm. Maybe, his partners also don't deserve cancer because yeah. he's radioactive. That yep. would, you know, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. That's fine. <laughs> Weird. We're All talking right. about Constantine. We're getting dark. 
Constantine has been featured in several comic titles, including, but not limited to, Hellblazer, which ran from 1988 to 2013. So that's the big one. Uh, Constantine, just Constantine, which replaced Hellblazer in the DC comics uh, when Vertigo kind of folded and uh, they, they took in some of the titles. So I believe that was part of the new 52. And that ran from 2013 to 2015. Then he was the leader, a lead character in Justice League Dark. He was in Constantine the Hellblazer, which ran from 2015 to 2016. Uh, Hellblazer Rebirth, part of DC's Rebirth, um, which is like a little miniseries. And then The Hellblazer. And then John Constantine Hellblazer, which is uh, started in 2020, uh, keep going to the present. So lots of different interpretations or lots of different titles. And there's a bunch of like little one-offs and stuff like that, that he was in, but those are the main ones. And the, the big one was Hellblazer from the eighties to the, you know, early 2013s. So we have a lot of things to cover in terms of creators. And there's a lot of people that have had their say in, in Constantine. And for that, we're going to go into the archives. Constantine was created by Alan Moore, Stephen R. Bissett, John Totalbin, and Rick Veach. Alan Moore grew up in the boroughs of Northampton, England. Uh, despite growing up in an area with a high illiteracy rate, Moore would read everything he could get his hands on. In the extraordinary works of Alan Moore by comic writer and interviewer George Curry, it states Moore would, quote, read omnivorously, which is the coolest way I've ever heard someone say read everything. <laughs> Moore would also discover comics around the same time, starting with British comic strips until stumbling upon comics like The Flash, Fantastic Four, and Detective Comics. Moore would begin publishing his poetry and essays and fanzines in the late 1960s, eventually creating his own called Embryo. That sounds about right for, for Moore. Uh, he was actually expelled from school after caught dealing... What do we guess? What, what was he dealing, everyone? In school. Acid. Yeah, LSD. <laughs> he was dealing LSD on campus, and uh, he also described himself as one of the world's most inept LSD dealers. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Side note, Alan Moore is a really interesting individual, from psychedelic drug use to being an occultist, ceremonial magician, and anarchist. Moore is one of the most captivating creators you will ever read slash hear about, and you should definitely read one of the many, many books and essays about him as a creator, because there is a ton of information to learn. Or at the very least, just look at a picture of him, because that'll <laughs> tell you a lot. It'll just tell you a lot. Moore would find odd jobs cleaning toilets and working in a tannery. Uh, he would actually meet his wife and then move to a, a new town for an office job at a local gas board subcontractor. Knowing he needed to do something artistic with his life, Moore abandoned his job to start writing and illustrating his own comic books. His first paying gig was for a few drawings in the New Musical Express magazine, or NME magazine. He would team up with childhood friend Steve Moore, circa 1979, to co-create Axel Press Button, a violent cyborg <laughs> for British music magazine Dark Star. And I, I need to read Press Button so badly. I love that name. 
violent That's cyborg. Amazing. I'm Absolutely. in, man. Yeah. Can you imagine just like the library? I just want to like see inside <laughs> his mind of all the concepts that never were made. Right. I think that would just be amazing. Soon afterwards, Moore created a private detective series investigating the death of rock and roll called Roscoe Moscow for Sound, another music magazine. I had no clue all these music magazines had all of these like comic strip type stories inside of them. That's a whole new level of like reading. Right. Why aren't those? I'm going to Google after this if any of those are collected in anything. Anyway, keep going. Oh, I would be surprised if they aren't. Moore at the time was doing more drawing than writing and realized he wouldn't be able to draw well or quickly enough to make a decent living as an artist. He turned to his friend Steve Moore for advice on becoming a successful writer. He wanted to write for 2000 AD, specifically for the massively successful series Judge Dredd. As the series was currently being written by Dredd co-creator John Wagner, artist Alan Grant saw Moore's potential in his work and asked him to write a few short stories for the the comic strip Future Shocks. He would begin writing smaller stories for Doctor Who Weekly while desperately wanting to work on a regular series. During the early 1980s, Moore would work for a variety of publishers, including Marvel UK, 2000 AD, and Warrior, who Moore stated had plenty of work because each publisher was trying to keep him busy so he wouldn't work for the competitors. Which I feel like is a really common theme when we've been doing research for all these other creators. It's usually Marvel's trying to keep people too busy to work at DC, and DC creators are trying super hard to keep them away from Marvel. But eh, publishers, just you know, just pay your creators what they should be owed. That'd be amazing. 2000 AD would publish over 50 of his one-off stories for Future Shocks and Time Twisters while Marvel UK would see the author take over for Captain Britain. Now, this is where things get interesting. So Warrior allowed more additional creative freedoms with two ongoing strips. One was Marvel Man, and the other was the iconic V for Vendetta, which premiered in Warrior 1 in 1982. Which I didn't even realize that V for Vendetta had originally come out in Warrior rather than the actual like DC hmm. title. I always thought that was just his first appearance, which is why I was always confused why it wasn't more expensive. Then I look up, then I looked up the prices for Warrior One. I realized why it's expensive. <laughs> uh, it was Moore's work in 2000 AD that caught the then DC Comics editor Len Wein's attention, who hired him in 1983 to take over for the saga of the Swamp Thing. The poorly selling monster book was in need of a serious revision. Moore took over Swamp Thing in Volume 2, Issue 20, and revitalized the often neglected supernatural characters like Phantom Stranger, the Spectre, Dead Man, the Demon, and of course, creating John Constantine. All right. So that kind of brings us to uh, the artists that are responsible for helping out with Constantine. We're going to talk about first Stephen R. Bissett, or Steve Bissett. First public works was Abyss in 1976. He would go on to enroll in the first ever class of the Kubert School, formerly the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art, founded by legendary comic artist Joe Kubert in 1976. Is it bad? I desperately want to go to any school by like a major comic artist. 
I just want to go. I have no artistic talent whatsoever, but I still want to go. It, it would be super fascinating. Do you think, I think you there's online f- classes now? You think other artists would come up and I could just get like free signatures on books? That that might be <laughs> worth paying tuition. Uh, Bassett wouldn't even finish his first year at this school because he would find work in publications like Sergeant Rock, Heavy Metal, and Sojourn. He graduated alongside classmate Rick Veach in 1978. Bassett's early work can be found in books like Epic Illustrated, Bizarre Adventures, Weird Worlds, and Bananas, <laughs> which I love that there's a book just called Bananas. And uh, of course there would be, but I, I just like that. But know, but who's who's it written it by? But who's it written by? Uh, illustrating stories by none other than R.L. Stein. That's right. <laughs> R.L. Stein. I really yeah. wish people could see my face journey as I'm listening mm-hmm. to y'all because I don't have anything to say because I'm so engrossed and that drop. Oh, my God. That was yeah. so exciting. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, this this is a lot of like lore and this is the lore drop at part of the episode. I love it. <laughs> Just We do a lot of research. People might fast it. forward through this part, but we still got to provide that information. It's fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Bassett and Veach would later work on the graphic novel for Steven Spielberg's film 1941. A terrible movie, but it's cool that they worked on that. Bassett and Veach would join Alan Moore working on Saga of the Swamp Thing alongside anchor John Totalben. Totalben also attended the Kubert School with his first published works in heavy metal in 1979. His breakthrough work would be inking art by Bassett for Swamp Thing. Bassett and Totalbin joined Swamp Thing just prior to Alan Moore in 1983. Funny enough, Constantine was created after Bassett and Totalbin told Moore they wanted to draw a character who looked like Sting, as the duo were massive fans of the police. <laughs> the artistic pairing had previously drawn a character who looked like Sting in the background of Swamp Thing, issue 25 in 1985 who is retroactively identified as John's Constantine. So, so there's always from, going to be that argument yeah. of what is his first true appearance. What's the first appearance? Because so that, officially, that was kind of the first appearance. Because officially but, it's 37, but everyone's going to be like, but then they said that was John in 25. Yeah, according and to so, the artists. And it's literally, I think he's like in the background. He doesn't do anything. He's like in the background and he's in like a green, I think he's in like a green yeah. coat or a trench coat. So sure. it doesn't even really... It still looks like Sting because that's who they wanted to make him look like. But I think that's hilarious. They're like, oh, no, it, it was back in issue 25 <laughs> that he showed up first. Just making collectors remember lose how, their minds. So and we remember how there was a couple of uh, a few creators uh, on Constantine. So uh, Alan Morris, they did that Veach's contribution to Constantine was adding an earring, which was considered risque in 1985. But. Hey, you know, somebody, everybody chips in a little bit. It's an eerie uh, John, more than I've added to any character. <laughs> John hey. Constantine would make his official comic book debut officially in issue 37 of Swamp Thing, volume two, June 1985, with cover art by Bissett, interior art by Veach, and Total Ben inking both. Hellblazer, by the way, is Vertigo's longest running title at 300 issues. We're going to go into the poll list as our guest. We're going to start with you. What, what would you like to recommend yeah. to the listeners first? Well, I have a very short recommendation list of the That's all right. 
one series that I've read and loved. It's Tom Taylor's doing a great job, but I can't quite engage because Simon Spurrier's was so good. <laughs> so good. Uh, I don't know what to really explain about it. It's got some time travel, some interdimensional stuff going on. Really pulls on, I think that synchronicity magic is that what mm-hmm. it was yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and narratively i think it does a really great job of balancing the fact that john is this jaded traumatized jerkwad with the fact that he also is very caring um there's a great is this where i could talk about single issues sure absolutely yeah. okay because we should talk about the shit demon but there's an issue yes. later where there is he rescues a mermaid mm-hmm. who was captured by this man. And the man started doing horrifying things of cutting off her tail meat and feeding it to Oof. people. Yeah. Cause it, he was earning all this money for it. Right. Cause like the fishing industry was struggling or something. And the entire issue is John rescuing her trying to get her to the ocean and talking with her about how she got into that situation his reactions to the fishermen his interactions with the mermaid his even attempt to do so it's just really i thought it really was the most humanizing issue of that run um but of course, the shit demon was the funniest <laughs> mini series. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the poop. The demon. poop demon. So, I, I think it's issue four and five. It starts this little uh, storyline called "Scrubbing Up Part Parts One and Two. and it's um. So funny. I, they, they, there's a new artist on that, uh, Matthias uh, Bergerice uh, or Bergerice. Um, who who has this kind of more stylized, a little bit more? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say cartoony, but it's almost kind of kind of stretched um, in a way. Other than some other art, which is very like scratchy and sketchy. Mm-hmm. Aaron Campbell's um, art is really really great, but I really also like Matthias as well. Uh, yeah, he does a couple issues in the run. So and 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 I was like, oh, this is cool, and it's a little lighter too. It's not as mm-hmm. like shadow heavy, which is kind of a, you know. It, it makes sense that Constantine's going to be have like lots of darks and, and shadows and the colors are going to be darker, but this was almost like there's a lot of daytime scenes. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is interesting. And, and, but there was still a lot of really dark stuff, including a, uh, excrement demon. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and what's also really funny in that, that particular two issues is that it introduces this magician named Tommy Willow tree uh, who is a British hipster with a man bun. And he's like a big fanboy of, of yes. John Constantine. He's like, I'm such a big fan of yours, man. And he's like super into like all the new age stuff. <laughs> and he's better at it than John. And he's, and he's really good. <laughs> so good. And he's like, he's just better at it. And he's young and he's not jaded. And I like, I drink yeah. tea and eat healthy. And I'm like <laughs> very much the hipster free love kind of yeah. vibe, uh, including the mustache, I think. And it's just, yeah. I I really liked him. It just he was cute. Um, And he presents like they go out and have drinks after Uh, dealing with what what you know after Tommy sort of explodes the the poop poop demon demon. and and then Constantine gets super drunk and then after 
he's like, okay, but here's the real thing. I'm going to present to you these magical relics and you're going to take your place as the rightful mage Lord of, of England. And Cutsy yeah. just barfs all over the place. <laughs> so he's funny. like, wait, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah. I love that Tommy drinks him under the table. Cause John is yeah. like, I'm going to show this kid up. Yeah. I'm going to out drink him. It's a weird, you know, machismo masculinity contest. Uh, and he just gets absolutely wrecked by this guy who has no Mm -hmm. idea that's that's the competition they're even in he's like chatting with people and being just really like yoga is great for the body and physical exercise and john is just being humiliated (laughs) by this young guy who's just better (laughs) than him after being chased by a poop demon yeah and he wakes up the next morning and he's like wait like in tommy's flat and he's like wait did we uh and he's like, oh, no, no. Uh, do you want some kombucha? <laughs> and he's like, totally fine. He's just meditating. It's so good. Uh, it's the, a great it's a great issue. Yeah. Yeah. The poop demon, though, they're like, I have no experience with any kind of magic, but I have found my line in the sand for magic. I won't practice. And that's going to be excrement based magic that's a good line to draw yeah yeah um i didn't know that line existed until somebody introduced the concept of poop magic and then i was like you know what that's not my gig that is not that's it i will say as a as a father of two that i've experienced poop magic a couple of times with my kids like I know that you pooped. Where did it go? <laughs> oh, no. So, and that's all I'm going to say, but I'm hoping that the parents out there will, like, will be like, yeah. uh, will know what, what uh, real life poop magic is, like the, the great disappearing uh, diapers. <laughs> that's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. Who knew that the uh, most terrifying thing in this episode would not be revolving around John Constantine? Yeah, it's it's not flesh pools and stuff like that. It's yeah. it's poop magic. Yeah, it's poop magic. <laughs> it's always poop uh, magic. Put it in the trailer. <laughs> that's that's just the promo for this episode. Poop yeah. magic. Yeah. Oh gosh, there are worse ways to get people's attention. <laughs> Lance, <laughs> what? Uh... <laughs> I don't think I can top that. Why did we start with that one? All right. Um, So uh, my choice is going to be John Constantine Hellblazer Dangerous Habits. This is going to be issues 41 through 46 of the series. And this is going to be written by Garth Ennis, uh, who many of you will also know from The Boys and Preacher, as well as uh, with artist Will Simpson. And this came out in 1991. Uh, This storyline was kind of a big switch for... Constantine in general uh, because we have Constantine who finds out he's developed cancer just from literally smoking like a chimney for his entire existence and the storyline revolves around him obviously still being a jerk to many people around him but he's also trying to kind of make amends with a few people and just the storyline's really good because you get to see a lot of his humanity and how much he does care for people. And there's one individual in particular that he meets. Uh, His name is Matt, who is also uh, dying from cancer. And they develop this really beautiful friendship. And Constantine agrees to come back and visit Matt, who's living in this 
essentially shelter home for individuals that are going to pass away soon from cancer. And the storyline is about him trying to help those around him at his end. And so he tries to help another one of his friends from having his soul dragged to hell. And by way of that, he basically beats the devil and the devil doesn't like that. And so he is now after John's soul and he knows that he's, it's going to be up for dibs soon because he's dying. And the storyline revolves around John trying to figure out a way to trick all these other uh, devils and demons and creatures into wanting his soul all at the same time. So then they have to go up against one another in order to get it. And so it's a really interesting storyline that you get to see how even though there's these beings that are on such like a higher power tier than him, that he's just intelligent enough to just screw with them and make them go in this revolving circle of, well, we can't kill him, but we want him to die, but you can't have him because I need him. And it just goes in this weird loop that you get to see how it really plays out. And the storyline is, it, it was really well written. It, it was really great dialogue between the characters and you get to see other characters that you've seen from the Hellblazer series prior that come back and have interesting conversations with John. So that would be my pick. Like I mentioned earlier, I hadn't read a lot of Hellblazer. So I looked at, you know, like, hey, recommendations for like good places to start. So one of the one of the ones that I kept seeing was this kind of self-contained storyline called All His Engines. Um, it's written by Mike Carey and the art is by Leonardo Manco. And this is um, uh, kind of a self-contained pocket story. Pretty good for new readers. Um, so it, it's it's about uh, Constantine trying to save the soul of a coma patient, which is his friend Chaz's daughter. And, and there's all these people going into a coma all over London and uh, and and kind of where he lives. And and um, and the, it's kind of related to this bloated demon making hell on earth in Los Angeles. So he flies to Los Angeles and goes, uh, he has to kind of make a deal with this, this bloated like demon swimming in pools of people that are trying to make it, you know, and stuff like that. Um, he's like tricked and he's in the, he, the, the bloated demon is like, Oh, I want you to take out these five other demons because they're encroaching upon my territory. And the way he does that is to summon an Aztec god who used to get worshipped from Mexico and in, in L.A. Demon on demon on demon kind of stuff. It's kind of nice as a storyline because it's it's uh, you don't have to you don't have to know a lot of lore. It sort of it just flows on its own. It has a beginning, middle and end and just a couple of issues. And it, has, it does a really good job of showing him as a as just in his, you know, uh, noir detective kind of mode and, and as a magic con man and he's just he's he tricks the demons he he cons the you know the people and um he's he's a jerk to his friend you know even though he's trying to save his friend's daughter <laughs> um so it's it's kind of like classic Constantine. uh I, I, the, the negative feedback i read from this is that it doesn't take place a lot of it doesn't take place in london and, and uh, in uh, england so you don't really get to see him as like natural element or, or, you know, kind of where a lot of other good stories are, but, but, um, that's the worst critique. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't in the fic. It wasn't in the city that I wanted him to be in. Like, okay. 
<laughs> but other, I mean, other than that, I, I found it pretty good. And I think if you if you're not a Constantine Constantine reader, that's a good place to start. And there's another good reason later on, which we'll talk about in adaptations, why all him all his engines is a good place to start as well. The only other one I had was uh, just for purists. If you want to start from the beginning, the there's a collected uh, trade paperback called Original Sins, which is basically the first couple issues of his uh, original appearance in Swamp Thing. And it also has the original run by writer Jamie Delano and John Ridgway. And so while Alan Moore might have created Constantine, it was really that first solo title run by Jamie Delano that really solidified him as a character. And the beginning of Constantine, um, I don't know if you guys, if either one of you read those early issues, but it's it's a little different. Like, it, it's, I don't think he really becomes the Constantine that we know until Garth Ennis's run. But but um, at the beginning, he's like, he's kind of cleaner and he wears a suit and he has a trench coat, but it's like he's wearing a blue suit underneath and his hair is a little different, you know, and it's it's and he he's wears gloves sometimes. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit more dapper. Like, it's kind of a, like, oh, OK. And it takes a couple issues to get really gritty and grimy. And um, well, I mean, I shouldn't, you know, he, he in the first issue, he's dealing with a guy that's covered in bugs and he's still and who's also a heroin addict. So, yeah, it gets pretty dark. But Constantine himself is kind of kind of clean. Um, but it's it's a good place to start for purists. Uh, the art is very 80s. Um, it's very sketchy and, and uh, you know, the writing's a little bit dated, but um, but but it's I think it's a good example of like where this character has come from and, and how far he's yeah. how far he's progressed. Yeah. It's always nice to see the origins, the original mm-hmm. designs. I mean, we've we've talked about other characters and like some of their first appearances, even even somebody like Spider-Man, like hit the first issue of Spider-Man was it goes on this roller coaster of him being a real jerk and he gets an ego and he goes on like press tours and, and it's, he's just kind of like, he's not a very likable character in his first issue. <laughs> it takes a while for him to be like, Oh, okay. I kind of like this guy, but um, yeah, but yeah. So Constantine uh, original sins, it's a collected paperback um, from DC as well. So that's going to take us to our grail finds, which I don't think we have any. Um, I don't own any issues of Hell, Hellblazer or Constantine. Lance, do you have anything? Or Aaron, do you have any like essential issues or anything that you've bought? I have the entire Cy Spurrier run. Um, I got that on my pool and yeah. I want to convert it over to collected issues just so they're easier to read. But the covers are... Yeah. Phenomenal. Like yeah. for that entire run. I'm and a sucker for good covers too. Oh my God. It's I don't curse. know if I can get rid of them. It is that, a curse. That's, what do you oh, do that's with worse them? Thing, guys. That's the I real curse. With... It's nothing that John Constantine does. It's being addicted to owning awesome cover art. It's the worst. Well, yes. I think that's one thing that Vertigo as an imprint did really well is they hired these painters like uh, Dave McKean, who did a lot yeah. of Sandman and, and stuff like that. And uh, he did a lot of Constantine covers where it's, it's very Orphan like too. artsy. Yeah. Like beautiful uh, Delgado. Um, uh, just all of these uh, great painters that create these atmospheric, awesome covers. And, um, and, and you don't get that on mainstream stuff. And, no, and yeah. so I think with Constantine, it, it's, it's kind of similar. It's like you have this, 
cool, almost like a series of pinups, <laughs> these moody, occulty kind of pinups. Uh, and then and then the interior comics, it, they're great, too. But but the covers definitely are a little different, whereas like a ma- like a lot of mainstream comics, it's like, you know, who will win between Ultra Guy and yeah. Sonic Force? And you know, like... Dramatic poses, but the Black Label and the Vertigo Label do just some mm-hmm. amazing mood pieces. Mm-hmm. Just, yep. yeah. It's like movie posters. Oh, yeah. So. Would be really great puzzles. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I drove oh, judge man. covers, actually, is if they would be really great converted to puzzles. Mm-hmm. So. Now I just yeah. want all of my favorite comic book covers as puzzles. Same. <laughs> all right. We're oh, going to let you yeah. think about no. that as we go on a little break. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Chris from the Geek Pee Podcast here with my two co-hosts, Trent. What up? And Brandon. Yo, yo. Here at the Geek Peak, we strive to provide you the best content from all across the pop culture multiverse. Think of us as your content concierge, seeking out all the best movies, TV, games, and music to save your valuable time. We have a different adult beverage every week, and we like to keep things light and fresh, so come hang out with us. So check us out on all your favorite podcasting platforms. That's Geek Peak. Like a mountain! And check out our site at geekpeakpod.com. Hey, I'm Chris Daly from Comic Book Keepers, and I'm the creator of Dungeon Heads. Dungeon Heads is a collection of my fantasy RPG character designs that are available to the TTRPG community. What started as a hobby for my own campaigns has become a cool resource that I hope players and DMs can utilize. All of my work is on Patreon, and you can see more content on TikTok and Instagram. Visit patreon.com slash dungeonheads to check out the gallery and get your character rolling. The best way to support us is to leave a rating and review. A five-star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And a review about what you liked in the episode does so much more. Let us know what kind of characters that you want us to talk about. Let us know if there's a team or a villain that we haven't talked about yet. And um, we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we love making it. You can find us on social media of all kinds. Mostly at CBKCast on Twitter, Instagram. You can use the hashtag CBKCast with your what-if ideas, favorite characters, or any questions or comments about anything that we discuss in the show. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, manga, to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. And podcasts. <laughs> Take a break from your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. You can check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, as well as finding all of his music available for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. Now back to the issue. Stop, John! It's not Astra! It's not her! Oh, you think you can mess with my life? Well, I got news for you, mate! I'm coming for Astra! And then I'm coming for Nogar! And you can pass that along! In hell! 
Welcome back to the issue. So we're going to get into adaptations for Constantine. Um, so I'll start with the, the, the movie. And Aaron, I think you have a little story about the movie as well. But um, so the, the, the actual first uh, filmed appearance was actually not the Keanu Reeves movie, but it was in a documentary called The Mindscape of Alan Moore, which was shot in early 2002. And it was just for a scene for that documentary, which shows Constantine wandering through London. And they, they also had scenes of like V for Vendetta and Watchmen before the Watchmen movie. And like, they, they filmed these little, it reminds me of like uh, unsolved mysteries or like those, those terrible, like home network um, you know, reenactments. It's like, we're going to show you a scene from the comic. Like the old forensic files reenactment. Yeah, yeah. Of they do it live action scenes. for some reason. Heck yes. So apparently they hired some actor to, dress up like Constantine and walk through London. And, and that was the first filmed what London a gig. thing for this what documentary. What a thing to have on your resume. I was, I was the, the first, first Constantine. Constantine. I mean, and I tried finding who it was, but I couldn't find that information. He's so. mysterious. Uncredited? That's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> it was Brad Pitt. Uh, <laughs> all right. But in 2005, the feature film Constantine was released. It did not share the title with the comic Hellblazer because the Hellraiser horror film franchise, which I've constantly <laughs> kept saying by accident, um, and, and there's confusion, and they also want to make it clear that it's a different horror franchise or, or you know, dark noir f- franchise. The film was loosely based on Dangerous Habits, uh, the storyline, but very loosely. This movie has an amazing cast, uh, including Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf, Tilda Swinton, Jaman Hansu, Peter Stormeyer, who makes a great devil. Um, Gavin Rosdale, the lead singer of Bush, is in this as, as a demon. Like he's really freaking creepy. Um, they just it's wanted directed to bring by France. Those those artists, just because of the whole Sting influencers, like we need yeah, more yeah. musical sure. creators there to come. There you go. In. Yeah, yeah. It was directed by Francis Lawrence, who went on to direct some of the Hunger Games movies. Um, you know, so but this was his first movie because he was directing a lot of uh, music videos before this and it made 230 million at the box office. So out of a $100 million budget. So not a failure, but critically um, it got some kind of bad vibes, especially from Constantine comics fans who looked at it and said, well, that's not Constantine by all accounts. This should, this should be a good movie. And there's still, people that like it i i kind of like it as a movie and i think if you just watch it and you're like oh and you knew nothing about the comics it's kind of it's kind of cool it's kind of dark it's kind of you know stands on its own but it's not a great constantine adaptation Hmm. you know it's uh you know he's not british he wears a black coat instead of a tan coat he he is black hair instead of blonde it takes place in la uh chaz is a sidekick instead of his friend you know, and and after that, there's not a lot of parallels. But I'm I'm kind of curious. What did what did you guys think of the movie? Have you seen the movie? Or what? What's your and and also what's your story? <laughs> okay, yeah, story time. So, uh, the first time I watched it was actually in preparation for this episode. I thought I had seen it before in my life, but it turns out I had confused I Frankenstein with Constantine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For years. Yes. <laughs> like, this makes no sense. Wait, is that that? That's the movie with um, 
Aaron, Aaron. Yeah. Egg- is it Earhart or, or something? Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That movie has a 5% ranking <laughs> on like Rotten Tomato. <laughs> so I'm really glad I watched Constantine because um, I'll have to disagree. I actually thought it was a really good Constantine adaptation. Um, okay. Okay. I sure. I would have loved to have seen a dirty blonde Keanu Reeves. I think that would have been yeah. incredibly handsome, but that's fine. Uh, I thought the kind of disheveled suit look really went with, you know, early 2000 vibes as well as kind of kept the disheveled trench coat look. Um, and I barely paid attention to the fact that it was an American accent. You know, it was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a comic book character. Yeah. So I actually really liked that movie. Um, it had the really great humor like when he's flipping off lucifer as he's ascending (laughs) and i was just like that is a great touch and um tilda swinton's costumes too as gabriel Mm -hmm. uh whenever they're at the final confrontation and it's this really again kind of grunge emo white outfit and but their armbands were made from the hospital bracelets. I really liked that mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as kind of the era of its time. I don't think in 2021, it would make the same <laughs> aesthetic choice, but uh-huh. uh, I really did enjoy it. I, I, visually. I think it's awesome. And, and, yeah. and uh, I, I actually liked the movie too. I mean, I, I, cause I similar to you, like I didn't really have, much knowledge about the comic and I just watched mm-hmm. the movie and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And it's dark and it's, the visuals are really cool. The thing with the mirror at the beginning when he's, yeah. you know, exercising the demon and, and um, yeah, just the, the costuming and, and uh, Rachel Wise is, is, is great. It's kind of like the audience proxy. And so I, Shia I like, LaBeouf took I, me off guard though. I'm not going to lie. When he was sure. there, I was like, what? <laughs> Like I forgot that he was acting in two thousand five. I was right. like, "Yeah, he's he's like little kid." Yeah, and then I saw him and I was like, "Is he twelve? Like, why is his character driving? Like, what? Like, I my Shia LaBeouf timeline is wrong, I guess, but mm-hmm. um, that kind of that did catch me off guard. It's it's a um, uh, post holes pre Transformers. Okay, where's even Stevens in there? That's what I remember. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> That's even anyway, before. Let's that. Check our Shia Lameter. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but he dies. So <laughs> spoilers. Did he yes. die though? There's an after credit scene. We oh, want- that's true. That yeah, there is. We yeah, want to talk yeah. about Marvel bringing those in. There's an after credit scene in 2005 Constantine. So that's there true. he is. That's true. Sorry, I got really excited about that. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Lance, what did you think of the movie? Well, I went into this movie knowing that it was a comic book movie made in the early 2000s. So my expectations were very low. And uh, I'll just say I enjoyed it. There you go. I'll go with that. I low, I've just found if I just go in with low expectations with most films, I'll enjoy them. Then it go. makes it worth the time watching it. I think... I, I love Keanu Reeves. He's he's a, an amazing actor slash person in general. Yeah. So uh, I it threw me off of him not having an accent. But the visuals, like, I thought all the visuals look cool. I'm a big fan of horror in general. So getting to see, like, the demon stuff was really cool. 
um, his really awesome like uh, gun that he was using to to yes. hunt everything was awesome. So yeah, if you turn your brain off, the movie's amazing. <laughs> if you if you're hypercritical, yeah. if you're hypercritical, right. then you can be like you can pick it apart. But if you just go into it wanting to have fun, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah, it's the same kind of argument. Yeah, like to yeah, in like that. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of argument that uh, like we were talking about with the first X-Men movie. Like, you know, they're it, it doesn't follow any timeline. They're wearing black leather, you know, like they're they're fighting in the Statue of Liberty that, you know, it, all the all these things that are like not from the comic. Uh, why is Wolverine so tall? You know, like it's, it's just all these things that you can be like, uh, well, that's not in the comics, but yet it was still kind of an enjoyable, you know, it's an enjoyable, yeah. awesome movie. So I think if you go into it thinking like, you know, this is going to be exactly like the comic uh, of Constantine, it's it's you might be disappointed. But if you're just saying like it, it's it is a faithful uh, adaptation of the vibe of Constantine. And, and it yes. certainly has like that that moodiness and the the noir, you know, kind of elements. And, and I think it really does a really great job capturing that so uh but but you know point of contention for a lot of uh fans um so uh moving on uh lance do you want to take the tv sure. stuff so in the fall of 2015 <clears throat> welsh actor matt ryan starred in a tv adaptation on nbc which aired for 13 episodes in season one and i've been trying to find the episodes on any streaming platform and I have to pay for them anywhere I want. So I'm waiting for them just to be thrown I, on I HBO think, Max for under their I DC. I think they're on, they're on Peacock. They're on Peacock? Last time I saw they were on Amazon Prime, but you had to pay for them. Yeah, yeah. But I'll get maybe I'll have to download Peacock now because I want to watch that show because I heard great things about it. I heard yeah, a lot yeah. of people really enjoyed it, and then it was a, a surprise when the series got canceled. It just didn't get picked up for another season. Well, and here's here's the thing is uh, it was a Friday night NBC show like 9 p.m. And that's like the death slot for mm. any slow, any 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 show that that airs 9 p.m. on Fridays usually will get canceled, <laughs> canceled after like one or two seasons. Serenity like, or uh, Firefly, um, <laughs> like that makes sense. Dollhouse, like all yeah. these all these uh, shows that aired um, uh, late Friday night. Nope. Yeah. yeah, but uh, he did well enough to where they wanted to use his character again. And so he reprised his role as Constantine in the fourth season of Arrow on CW in season three of Legends of Tomorrow and became a regular cast member in season four of Legends of Tomorrow. So he wasn't done yet being that character. And he actually we're going to hear uh, his name again in a little bit uh, with CW streaming platforms also made a self-contained animated series called Constantine City of Demons, which was an adaptation of all his engines. This was a much darker storyline similar to the Vertigo comics. Matt Ryan reprises his role as the voice in the series, along with a character Nightmare Nurse, played by Laura Bailey of Critical Role. Uh, these shorter episodes are collected in one longer movie, which brings us to... Animation! If you want to see Constantine City of Demons, it is collected as a film, which you can see on HBO Max, along with uh, a couple other animated movies that he makes an appearance in. Um, the first one is Justice League Dark, which is kind of an adaptation of the comic book, which pits a uh, 
Constantine, along with other mystical heroes of the DC universe to deal with the magic side of things that the regular Justice League can't. And you'll have characters like Satana and Dead Man and Swamp Thing and Batman <laughs> because, you know, it's DC. It's got to have to have Batman. I mean, Batman's yeah. got to be in it. But but mostly it's Constantine and he's like a lead character. And um, anyway, and then uh, he they they make a sequel kind of to this movie called Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which came out in 2020 and and uh, fairly recent. So Constantine and Zatanna have accepted a position in the Justice League. And it was kind of weird. I started watching this movie and it sort of starts out with them waking up on the watchtower and I'm like, what is Constantine doing? In the That's why you got to watch League? Justice League Dark first. It sets it up. <laughs> I watched Justice yeah, League. Apparently, Dark. I did not. I so did. It, I it's, can't. The pref- it's the prequel to this one. You need to watch it. It's actually really fun. But but, but I don't. I don't, I don't like Aaron. So you had mentioned that <laughs> uh, you had see- watched some of these animated shows. So what what were your thoughts on Constantine and animation? I watched the City of Demons um, collection. Is that what it was yeah. called? Yeah. I really liked it. It does touch on some of his origin stories. So when you were talking about yeah. his band and his relationship with Chaz, I was like, oh, yeah, that that's in the show. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great movie to kind of onboard to the character, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And learning a little bit more about him. It also highlights kind of how tragic and self-centered he is the sacrifice he has to make at the end of that story to resolve Mm -hmm. the storyline and make everything safe again. Heartbreaking. I mean, he's just, he's just a sad character who has to do horrible things. And, you know, it's always for the greater good. It's that billion lives versus, you know, his one friend and it's, uh, Mm -hmm sucks but i thought it was yeah. a really yeah. good story that that ending was scales. like oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh uh, uh, yeah I, I will say um the, the animation is not for the faint of heart in, in city of demons yeah. it's got some graphic uh <laughs> violence and <laughs> torture scenes and trigger yes. warnings and yes um, that the comic does not have, like, by the way, it's it's almost like the uh, animation studio was like, we need more butts with things going into them. <laughs> just like, yeah, they and metal torture. They just, turned it up a notch. But they, I, they, that might they have been just the difference between. Script? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Maybe, yes. Maybe. <laughs> that is exactly it. It's definitely a difference between um, just comics and animation in general. Yeah. Um, comics you don't print you print action scenes but not like horribly gruesome all the time yeah Mm -hmm. with kind of that choreography but yeah it it was weird seeing like the the dc you know intro with like batman superman wonder woman then it opens up and you've got this like giant flesh demon with stuff coming out yeah so uh, it's not a kid's movie Mm -hmm. uh it is very much an adult movie i don't think constantine Um, is a kid's character He's not. not. Yeah. All, yeah. Although, although, uh, oddly enough, one of the things I found in animation was he makes his way into the very kid-friendly Justice League action. 
as as like a character that shows up, I guess, one time. Is he so chewing like, like huh? candy, those candy cigarettes instead I, of smoking? Oh my God. I don't know. And I, I want to find this episode that Constantine shows up in Justice just League ha- action. He just like, has a vape. Are they trying to like, like kind of drop him in so that his kids get a little older? They're like, oh yeah, that guy, he was really it's awesome. It's just a carrot stick, like hanging yeah. off of his <laughs> Oh, look who it is. Batman, I see you've brought a teenage girl and a hobo with you. Magic barrier. Constantine, can you break through it? I'm sure I got something for it, Bat. Recognize this, Constantine? The Magdalene Grimoire. Oh, yes. More spells than I could ever ask for. I could do a lot with that magic book. I think I'll take it from you. He's also been uh, adapted into novels, fantasy fiction author john shirley is credited in writing three hellblazer novels including the novelization of the constantine film the novel this is my favorite fact though the novel hellblazer war lord features constantine talking about another john constantine in an alternate universe who has black hair and lives most of his life in los angeles while giving a brief summary of the film's plot so i was like i love that i I love that real constantine knows about alternate universe Constantine, Keanu Reeves Constantine, (laughs) because DC. It's a thing in the uh, Cy Spurrier's run, too, the multiverse Mm -hmm. for DC. So, like, of course he does. Of course he knows about Keanu Constantine. Thank you for making it canon, the novels. Appreciate you. Keonstantine. I like it. Uh, And did you all know there was a Constantine video game? Yes. Nope. See, Aaron knows it was more a, than me. It was an adaptation of the film Constantine, and uh, I looked up a little bit more about it, and it was kind of like a a role playing game, kind of uh, slash first person shooter, where you had to collect these different things. You had to get the the shotgun, the magical shotgun, and choose which friend to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And I was like, "What? Your you choices direct the game." Yeah. who dies who lives i would love to see a like a who telltale decides? constantine like you know those Ooh, those walking dead telltale yeah. the batman ones where it's like you have to make these choices i would love to see a telltale game 100 percent uh, with constantine. i would play that yeah because you could like so make these that. choices and it would be like moral you know moral ramifications for like what you chose and which people you might have to sacrifice or something like that would be that would be awesome i think that would actually really stress me out a lot yeah, yeah. Um, you just turn the game off you're like i'm done yeah, just... i'm out the first decision you're like yeah rescue somebody or fight the demon i'm out i can't mm, this is why save I'm not... this girl or poop demon like what do you want <laughs> the Close trick the in those games is whatever you think is the right answer is always mm. the wrong answer oh yeah. don't like that yeah <laughs> well that brings us uh th- speaking of questions that brings us to what if each issue we do at nerds do best we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love and this week we decided to have the question be what if constantine were teleported to an alternate comic book universe so we would have to choose what publisher a who he would team up with and who would be their antagonist and as our guest aaron we're gonna have you go first so what did you decide well, I'm kind of going back on what I said earlier, where Constantine's not a kid's character. 
Um, because I think it would be great to see him show up in the Strange Academy book from Marvel. Yes. And I, you know, every comic book needs two villains, right? And so, of course, I think he and Doctor Strange would immediately start fighting because they're both egoists with the multiverse. Like, that's that's their gim- gimmick. They're going to clash. That's great. But I think it'd be great if, like, Constantine's magic didn't work because it's different magic rules and sacrifice rules. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, he fights dirty. Like, Doctor Strange does his circles, and he's just, like, putting my- his hands in it, like, F your circles, I'm messing up your magic and like, you know, just punches him in the face or something. Uh, so of course their conflict at first, but then maybe uh, Dormammu shows up finally mm. and they have to team up and take Dormammu down. But do we finally think- get to see flaming head Dormammu? Yes. I'm sold. We're sold. Yeah, we're there we we're go. reading it. Done. Yes. But I, I think it would be great to have it end with a, like a begrudging sh- handshake of them agreeing to never let the multiverse cross again between Constantine and Strange. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's the end of the all access storylines. It's yeah, over. That's it. At least theirs. <laughs> yeah. He just cuts off Constantine from going anywhere else. And Constantine's like, right back at you. <laughs> Was there an amalgam character of Doctor Strange and Constantine? There was an amalgam character of uh, Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate, and uh, Charles Uh, Xavier called Doctor Strange Fate. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But I don't think there was an amalgam character. Lance is an expert, Aaron, by the way, at at the amalgam universe. If it's weird, if it's a weird crossover or an amalgam character, I know about it. I like the weird crossovers between different franchises, publishers. I'll read them all. If, I don't if, care how if, bad uh, they are. If a live action adaptation of Dark Claw ever comes out, I'm gonna um, be rich. He's your your head's gonna explode. Is what's gonna happen. Oh yeah. If <laughs> and I then get, I'm gonna be rich if because the hyena, I'm gonna get you Like I, I'm just saying, one of the greatest villains ever created has to be the hyena. Combination of uh, the Joker Saber and Saber Tooth. Yeah, yeah. Come on. So good. That's amazing. Right, and he fights Dark Claw, which is Batman and Wolverine together. <laughs> How can you not love that? Why haven't we done I, this? Like, I don't know. So, so we're writing a pitch afterwards, <laughs> so that Marvel and Disney, or yeah, we'll so that Marvel and DC can finally be friends again, and we can get some amalgam, more amalgams. Anyway, right. I, I'm just, I have to redesign Dark Claw's outfit a little bit so he can move in any direction without With- stabbing himself because he has way too many. Way too many pointed Way too things. Many claws. Yeah. yeah. He's it's he's a product ridiculous. product of the nineties for sure. Too many too many <laughs> pointy it. things. He very much is. I love it. Um I will go next. Yeah. Uh so I I almost picked Doctor Strange and then I almost picked um Scarlet Witch because I thought that would be fun with Chaos Magic. And I almost picked Buffy because I'm a big Buffy fan and mm-hmm. I thought having a character that that deals with demons and the occult and having a demon slayer would be really fun and having their kind of sensibilities go off against each other. Um, but then I remembered that I'm also a fan of Hellboy and having Constantine mix it up with the BPRD and Hellboy, I thought would be really like, he would be brought in as a, as a consultant, you know, for a certain uh, London branch or something like that. And um, 
and you'd have like Liz Sherman and Hellboy and Abe Sapien go in and, and they would all like have their way and Constantine just like does certain things and they're, they're kind of going at it and Hellboy just doesn't like them and constantly butting heads and Hellboy's like just being all physical and <laughs> Constantine yep. just like, okay, I'm just going to let him do his thing. And, um, but eventually like they, they ended up working together and overcoming differences. And um, I, I love uh, Hellboy. It's, one of my favorites so and and it's kind of similar in in artistic the 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 heavy shadows and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so i think i think that'd be a fun fun crossover to have those have those characters together i'm immediately seeing constantine hitting on both liz and abe sapien yeah that's (laughs) his whole his whole plan that entire issue is just trying to get both of them in bed at the same time that's all it is yeah that's the subplot yeah (laughs) I've never been with a fish person. <laughs> it's going to be a weird shape of water issue. Uh-huh. It's going to get strange. That's what shape okay, of Lance, water was tell supposed us about, to be. Tell us about your... Right. Uh, your what if. So I also went with Marvel Universe, and there were a few different things I almost chose. Uh, I actually almost chose Damien Darkblood from Invincible at first, but then I saw Chris had said Hellboy and they're pretty much like Damien Darkblood pretty much is Hellboy and John Constantine together. So, uh, but I can't not mention a character from Invincible just because I love Invincible and the show is crushing it right now. But so going with Marvel, I thought it would be really fun to match Constantine up with uh, Robbie Reyes. So who the, the newest Ghost Rider. And I thought that it would be really fun for them Good to be cruising idea. around in the Hell Charger together because they would look amazing <laughs> in the Hell Charger together. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that Constantine is also constantly hitting on Robbie and Robbie has zero interest in Constantine at all. And the two of them are going to have to go up against Morgan Le Fay. So if you know like sure. King Arthur mythology, so like Morgana Le Fay, Morgan Le Fay. And yeah. with her... She's really into like time. She uses time travel a lot. She also summons demons. So there could be a lot of like her just summoning these hordes of demons to go up against both of them and watching John use magic against demons. And then Robbie using like the held chain whip against them would be amazing to watch in a panel together. Mm, But I imagine what would happen is Morgan Le Fay would just get tired of them mowing down all the demons and she's just going to send them back in time. And I could see her throwing them all the way back to like King Arthur time. And they're just stuck there trying to figure out how to get back. And during that time, they have to adapt. Like the Hell Charger runs out of gas, so it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, we so might wait. Yeah. You just Ash versus the Evil Dead did them. Yes. Yep. And I am here for that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I didn't even realize I like, did that. Just, yeah. Yeah, so that I imagine Ghost Rider and King Arthur's Court. Yeah, so I imagine yeah. I imagine Robbie becoming like a Death Knight, and we get to see a Ghost Rider return to a horse, like Ooh. the original one uh, was, yeah. and I think that would be really cool. And then John would essentially just become like the court jester slash, uh, like sorcerer for it, and he would have to learn from literally like could Merlin. learn from <laughs> yeah, he would learn from Merlin during that period of time too. So I, there's so much you could do with that storyline. I think it would be really fun. And then 
they literally figure out a way to show back up into the main storyline and they're just like decked out in this amazing gear and and they just go up against morgan lefay and they figured out time travel so they don't have to worry about being tossed all the way back i want to read it right now yeah i can't write it i'm not a writer but that sounds i awesome. think uh two things one i can't wait to see constantine light his constant cigarettes on uh robbie's a flaming yes. head you know he's just, and robbie's like stop that stop that <laughs> it's like every time it's just every like five minutes uh and then also i see like um because morgan lefay also uh another sorcerer in the marvel universe is dr doom and i and, and, and morgan lefay and dr doom don't like each other at all so i kind of see like dr doom coming in and like trying to trying to pull in some like magical aspects and stuff like that i could see constantine manipulate trying to manipulate doom into coming into that fight yeah doom is actually who gets them back into the future yeah like it's uh-huh. yeah i brought you back for my own reasons i'm in. deal with that stretchy man <laughs> <laughs> if i don't read it i'd watch it in a movie like make it an right. animated movie let's go dc step up warner yeah. bros like <laughs> let's go so i that's kind of going to wrap it up for our our episode on on john constantine and um we we want to thank our guest for uh aaron for coming on uh on the show where can people find you on social media what we're going to put on the show notes obviously but what final plugs would you like to give yeah so the podcast is on stitcher google pods spotify and apple podcasts and it's just an easy girls talk comics search we are on twitter at girls talk comic one i didn't get the s i'm not i'm not hurt it's fine Mm. and we are also on facebook i believe it's girls talk comics lfk is how you can find us there and we will have awesome. their link tree in the description of our episode. So if you have any problems searching and finding any of those, it will all be in the descriptions in the episode. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for thank coming you so on much, the Aaron. show, Aaron. It was so fun having you on and talking Constantine and, and comics in general. And It was a blast. Uh, I love this stuff. Yes. Welcome back yes. anytime. It was for, super for fun to have characters. you. Thank you so much for staying up late to record this. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go get a really good night's sleep, drink some yes. water, because, you know, self-care. And, and dream awesome. of the comic what-if stories that we created. Ooh, yes. <laughs> It'd be, that's going to be fun. It's time to close the book on John Constantine. So until next time, this is Chris. And Lance. And Aaron. There you go. <laughs> Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. 